it. And yeah, we'll continue our um, our study this morning, Sunday school lesson series on biblical counseling. And so we covered the beginnings of it last week, and we'll um, continue to build upon what it is that we looked at last week, specifically the authority of Scripture, and talk a little bit today about the sufficiency of Scripture. Really, the two building blocks of biblical counseling, and really any true biblical ministry. I think Brittany had a great question last week talking about, well, what if you're talking to someone and you're not even, you don't even have the same starting place? Um, as a believer, we know that the authority is God's word, and so we never jettison that authority because we believe in the sufficiency of God to use it to bring about true change in people's lives. And that's really what any true biblical ministry is built upon is the truthfulness, the authority, the sufficiency of God's word. And, uh, and then we'll dive in, and hopefully you guys brought your packets. If you didn't, Derek has some more here, so we can get you one of those, and we'll continue to, we'll pick up from where we left off last week. Let me open us in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father, we, uh, we come to you this morning, and we are a people that are in need of, of your grace. We're in need of the food and the water um, from your word that pours forth and comes forth from the word. Pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning to feast upon it and to drink upon your word and be satisfied, to be built up in the faith, Lord, and to be equipped to minister to others. Um, we're dependent upon you, Lord. I pray that we would put forth our best efforts into, into reading, into learning, into meditating and thinking through the scriptures. Uh, but in all of that, Lord, we are dependent upon you to open up our eyes, to behold wonderful things in your word, for us ourselves to be fed, to be mesmerized, to taste and see that you are good, so that when we go to others, we go to them with conviction and, tr and ed urging them, convincing them, trying to convince them, be reconciled to God, whether it's in salvation or it's in sanctification. Come, bring your life under the lordship of, of God and to learn to live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to him and which will actually bring out within us as well the, the most joy and the peace and the contentment is when we, uh, when we yield ourselves to you. So we pray that you would help us to do that this morning, Lord. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a quick, a, a quick recap um, what it is that we saw last week. And then we'll build upon that, and we'll get into um, today's content. Um, a couple reasons why we're going over this. One is because the biblical counseling ministry has been a staple of North Hills Christian Church for many years. Um, secondly, because this is good not only for those who want to be trained to be formal counselors, to be able to sit down with someone in a, a, you know, more of a structured, intimate, personal setting and to be equipped to help bring God's word to people, but also for all of us, because all of us are, we're all counselors. We're all giving advice. We're all giving wisdom. You're giving it to your children. You're giving it to your spouse. You're giving it to your friends. You're giving it to, to people that you come in contact with. People are asking all the time, what should I do about this? Or what do you think about this? And the question is, is when you begin to think about answering that question, where's scripture at all in your thinking regarding how you're going to respond? What's going to proceed out of your mouth? I hope it's true. I hope it's from the Bible. And um, so 
It's good for us in that way. Thirdly is because we also have um, the NCT coming up, um, North Creek Church in Walnut Creek does a yearly biblical counseling training, and it is over one weekend in um, August, one in September, and one in October. And that is specifically geared around equipping believers to use God's Word to um, counsel and help others, and really counsel yourself, too. And we've attended that as a church for years and years and years, always taking a big group of people down there. And so I get encourage you, if, even if you are not thinking you're going to be, you know, formally counseling people, I think it's good for every Christian. I mean, if you're like, wow, I'd really like to learn how to use God's word to minister to myself and to others more effectively, man, this is a good, it's a good place for you to be, to go to that. And so let me know if you're interested in that, if you haven't already, and because we're putting together a list of people who want to, to go to that and do that. Um, I want to draw our attention to Psalm 138, verse 2, before we get into uh, really the, the packet this morning. I think this describes well, especially the latter part of the verse, what it is that we are building our lives upon. Psalm 138, verse 2 says this. Well, let's read verse 1 and verse 2. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. In God's own mind, his name and his word are parallel with one another. And he has exalted his name, his character, himself, his person, and his word above all other things. And so I think it's a good idea that if God has exalted his name and his word above all other things, we should exalt his name and his word above all other things. And that's going to come, and that's really going to be shown where, what, what place the word of God has in your life when it comes to your conversations with other people and the advice and the counsel that you're giving them. Does God's word really hold the primary position of your life, in your life, when you're talking to other people and you're dispensing biblical and spiritual truths? Or do you kind of get them, well, this is what worked for me, and this is what my grandma always said, this, and, you know, oh, well, this is what the culture says. I mean, where are you grabbing from? We're all grabbing from different places. Well, hopefully not different places, but we're all grabbing from places in order to get through life, to counsel ourselves and to counsel others. Our hope is that we're using the Scripture to be able to do that. And we do, and one of the ways that that's proven is by exalting his name and his word above all things. So that specifically leads us into this idea of authority and sufficiency of Scripture. God has exalted his word above everything, meaning his word is authoritative over every other word. And his word is sufficient, actually sufficient to help us. And as we get into some of the latter lessons of the, this Sunday school training We'll get into some of the nuances I'm talking about the, the sufficiency of Scripture and, and what it's for and stuff like that. But at least for this morning, we just want to understand the sufficiency of Scripture being about um, God's Word being sufficient to help us with the spiritual problems that we face in life and rightly understanding what those problems are. So we talked last week about authority. We looked at the, the pyramid here. The Bible has foundation on theological pyramid. We went over that. And then we looked at the last page as well of your packet. 
And we looked at the various, counsel, the various approaches to counseling in the secular world. And really, the reason why this is important to understand and why this is foundational is because it's important for us to consider the foundation of which we're building our lives upon and the foundation of which we're asking other people to build their lives upon. And why are there inconsistencies between the worldly psychological perspective on how to help people and the biblical perspective on how to help people? Now, I want to say this. I think that there are a lot of worldly psychologists that get into counseling because they genuinely want to help people. Like, they genuinely care for people and want to, and they see. I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? We got issues. Like, we got issues and they abound. And people that don't know Christ, just by God's common grace, want to be moved towards other people to help them. When, I, when you see someone struggling with something and they're, and they're sad over an issue of life, it's common, even for unbelievers, for their hearts to go out to them in some form of sympathy to go, man, I wish there was something I could do. I want to say something. I want to help this person. But they don't have the biblical framework of which to operate, of what's really going to bring them true help. And so what we looked at here is this, and this is just a, a broad overview of some of the more predominant methods of secular counseling. And it all is started and built upon mankind's basic view of man. And once you have this view of man, who man is, is then you begin to understand, okay, well, this is what man pro man's problem is. But because of my desire to help them, this is what I believe the cure to their problem is. So this is what I'm going to implement in order to bring about a cure for their problem. These are, this is the terminology I'm going to use, and this is going to be the ultimate focus that I'm going for. As in, this person has a problem. When this person reaches this place, problem is solved, my job is done, they can go on their way, and I can go on my way. We want to, they're trying to come to some sort of end point. And so all of the worldly perspectives on this you, kind of walks you through what some of that looks like. And then we looked at, you know, biblical counseling, though, is different in the sense, and this is where we ended last week, which are where I want to pick up. The basic view of mankind is that we're all created in the image of God. The biblical counseling view is that everybody is created in the image of God, believer, non-believer, right? But the cause of the problem, believer, non-believer, our problem, our root problem is sin, the cure for our problem is the Lord Jesus Christ, his word, his redeeming work, the Holy Spirit, all of those things. That's what God uses in our lives. The counseling technique that we're going to use is biblical counseling. The terminology that we're going to use is scriptural biblical truth. And the focusing that we're going to focus on, what we're shooting for, is Christ-likeness. And I'm going to just, a spoiler alert, because the goal is Christ-likeness, it means that nobody ever actually reaches the goal in this life, right? So what does that mean? You're always in need of counsel, and I'm always in need of counsel. As long as you or I are still living on this planet before the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. We do that, um, we're, God does that in a variety of ways, but in all of them, most profoundly he does it through the use of his word, the preaching of his word, the speaking of his word, the counseling of his word, the praying, praying of his word in each other's lives. But we're constantly growing into the image of Christ, and so the pursuit is unending. 
But that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. I, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, if it's un, an unending task, what's the point in even pouring myself into it? Well, if the, if the goal is Christ-likeness, then it's worth every bit of time that you have to pour yourself into your conformity into the image of Christ and someone else's conformity into the image of Christ. At the end of the day, if God would use you or me to make someone more like Jesus, that's a life well spent. And I don't care if it's one, if, if it takes my whole life to see someone make one inch progress to be made like Christ, that's a life well spent. We're not measuring by distance. We're not measuring by amount of effort or energy we put in. We're just, me, we're, we're measuring, are we being faithful? Is God being glorified? And are they growing to be like Christ? Two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. And so that's what we're looking for. Let's grow to be more like Christ. So, we rely upon the authority of God's word, and we rely upon the sufficiency of it, which is where we want to start, <clears throat> start our new, um, pick, the, pick up the packet newly today. Um, before we jump into this, are there any questions that anybody has regarding the authority of Scripture, the helpfulness of Scripture, or anything that I just said before we dive into sufficiency? This is the time where teachers ever e go either, man, I'm being so clear, everyone's getting it, or I'm so confusing, nobody's getting anything. But you guys are a good and interactive group. So what we're going to do this, the mic is down here. If at any point you have a question, raise your hand if it's cool to interrupt me, and um, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. Okay, sufficiency. Turn over to the second page in your packet. We are talking about this morning what makes biblical counseling biblical. Number one, when it recognizes the Bible as foundational, that is last week, the authority. Number two, when it recognizes the Bible as sufficient. When it recognizes the Bible as sufficient. God's word provides all that we need for life and godliness. Think about that for a moment. God's word provides all that we need for life and godliness. Now we know that that's true because of the passage, 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So that's true. We know it to be true. Biblically it's true. But let me ask you this. What are things that you turn to in your life that you're tempted to turn to in your life rather than the Word of God. We have a brave soul who would like to answer. Right? We say God's Word is sufficient, but do we really, are there inconsistencies in our lives? Brett. YouTube. <laughs> Deep thoughts from Brett Rice. This is true. We do. We turn to other things, right? We say the Bible is sufficient. All I need, right? We sing the song, all I need is Christ. But functionally, is that the way that we really live? Are you really, if all you have is Christ, you say that that's really enough? And really, I have, this, the scripture is sufficient to help me through and deal with the spiritual inner man problems of life. If that is really true, 
and we really believe it, then why do we turn at times to other things to help us get through hard times? Our sinful nature. And guess what? You're not the only one doing it. And there are a plethora of other people that are doing it too. And some people, believers, have grown in such a habitual practice of turning to other things other than the Lord that it is now built up into their life. This is what we would call like people have these, in the, world, in the worldly terms, addictions. They need something. They rely upon something. That's just biblical language as to calling something an idol. It's the object of worship. Whatever you turn to that you're trusting in and relying in is functioning as an idol in your life. And there are Christians out there that are deeply entrenched in sin and idolatry that the Word of God can sufficiently help bring them out of. And so we trust and rely upon God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 17. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. You learn God's word. You become, I hope you're becoming convinced of it. Knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. There's a lot there. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The scriptures make you wise to salvation. The scriptures sanctify you, equipping you for every good work. And this is not just for you. This is, for ev- this is true for every single believer. It equips us to draw us out of the pit that we're living in, and it equips us to help function uh, in a more godly way in the life that God has appointed to us right now. It's sufficient to do um, all that we need for life and godliness. We see in Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God calls us to wisdom. He calls us to Christ-likeness. His word is the thing that does that. It's sufficient to do that. B, the noetic effect of sin has tainted our ability to know truth, and appropriately address human problems. Noetic, not in any way referring to the the man Noah, but noetic from the Greek word nous, which means mind, referring to sin's effect on our ability to think, reason, and know truth. Now that's big. Because Christians are tempted to think unbiblically. We, all of us are. We're tempted to to think unbiblically. We're, We're tempted to reason unbiblically. And we're tempted to know and believe in unbiblical things. Because of the noetic effect of sin in our lives. We don't think rightly. Now just, I want you to think for a moment about the implications of a statement like that upon this last chart. Unbelievers, I mean believers, we don't, even, we don't always think rightly. We don't reason rightly, do we? Biblically, true, aligned with the truth of God's word that he's revealed in Scripture. Unbelievers, certainly, even less so, even in the light of God's common grace, of natural revelation that he's revealed, that we read about and we studied about in Romans 1, 
even, even having that, but less so than a believer because they don't have and believe in the divinely inspired truth of God's word, don't think rightly, don't reason rightly, and don't know and interpret information correctly. And so they're coming up with systems. This is what I think is wrong with mankind. But in the worldly psychological system, there are hundreds, hundreds of different views on what is wrong with mankind and how to help mankind. The unbelieving world doesn't know. They're, they're poking, they're grasping at straws, they're wandering around in the darkness. They don't, they're grasping at things that they don't understand because they can't. They're spiritually discerned. And we, being spiritual people, have the mind of Christ, can discern, but still then, we need to bring our thinking and our living in line with God's revealed truth and God's word. I'll just put it like this. At the end of the day, if someone says to you, well, this is the problem that I'm having, and I think that this is what I should do, and in your mind, that sounds like a reasonable response and choice. Your first response should be, what does God's word say? Because you and I are always tempted every day to respond to situations in our own lives that sound reasonable. This sounds like a good idea. What harm could it be in doing this instead of, I know God's word says do it like this, but that would require, that's a lot of time, a lot of work, there's a lot of trust and faith and stuff like that involved in that decision. I think I'm just gonna go this way. And we function all the time like that. We need to learn to trust in God's revealed authoritative word and live accordingly. The first question in our mind should always be, what does God's word say? And choose to live consistently in line with the word of God. Now, there's a lot in the word of God. So get to reading. And we might know. But our, I'll say this, our ability to interpret is clouded. Our ability to rightly interpret the word of God is clouded. Our ability to rightly interpret, how, how, how many times have you said, what did he mean by that when he said that? Did that person, was there a tone in that? You know, you, after somebody says something or does something, you go home and you think about it and you go, what does she mean by that? Right? We don't interpret things rightly all the time. Our interpretation of things is, are oftentimes is wrong. It's because of the noetic, noetic effect of sin. You're going to find that if you sit down and talk to people, they're most likely wrongly interpreting what it is that's going on in their lives. We need to help people rightly understand to interpret what's going on in their lives and what God's word says about it. C, God's word defines our counseling practices. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just to notice the bullet points. Um, our goal is to have counseling practices that emerge from Scripture as opposed, opposed that, to ones that are simply consistent with it. Um, there are a lot of worldly systems that will implement some biblical and spiritual truths that seem to be consistent with what the Bible says, but it's not actually springing forth from the Bible. We need to be careful of those things. So we have to have counseling practices that actually come out of Scripture rather than ones that are simply consistent with it. But we do. We interact with secular thinkers and writings to stimulate our own theological work. 
We, biblical counseling has historically placed a high value on the place of legitimate medical science in our counseling model and practice. And I think that that's worth um, just mentioning for a moment that biblical counseling is not anti-medicine, not anti-science. Science, like real science, not, you know, theories called science. Biblical counseling has always been pro-science. So let me give an example real quick. Um, you're out doing something and you break your arm, okay? What are you gonna do? Who's the, who's the first person you're calling? You're laying on the ground and your arm that bends this way now bends the other way. You're writhing in pain. Are you calling your pastor? Or are you calling the ambulance? Get the ambulance to my house. My pastor can meet me at the hospital right? Because they're going to take you in. They're going to do an x-ray. They're going to say, oh, this is what's happening. We're going to readjust your bone. We're going to cast it. Boom, boom, boom. We know that this is what happens. It'll reform itself. You'll be in a cast six to eight weeks. Take it out. Physical therapy, yada, yada, yada. You're on your way, right? The role of biblical counseling, I'm not going to come over. I'm not going to try and manipulate your arm. I'm not going to pray over it. I'm not going to do all these weird, crazy things. I'm going to say, you need to go see the doctor. These are like real physical issues, but you know where the role of biblical counseling comes in? What if you rely upon your arm to do your job and you have no more paid time off? And, the wor and you providing for your family. And the worry and the fear and the anxiety of what am I going to do to provide for my family begins to, right? Begins to set in. You're thinking, you're feeling, you're praying, all of this stuff. The role of the biblical counselors to come alongside and go, brother, let's talk. Bring the truths of God's word to bear. Remind him of the sovereignty of God and the care of God and all these truths that we have in the word, right? To bring them back, their thinking and their desiring and their emotions back in line with the truth of God's word. That's what biblical counseling is for. D, God's word is unique is his unique provision. It teaches us, we've seen that. It reveals his plan for mankind. It produces biblical faith. It transforms people at the heart level. And that's really, out of all of these, if you're going to have your attention drawn to one, that's the one I want it to be drawn to. It transforms people at the heart level. The desire. How many, how, since you've come to know Christ, this is active participation moment. If God has revealed to you that your dreams and his dreams aren't exactly the same thing, raise your hand. Right? Like, we have these ideas of what we want life to be like. And sometimes God in his sheer grace and mercy is like, we can do that. We'll do that. But there are often times because we are on the road to glory that he knows that our plans, our desires, our dreams are inconsistent with what it is that he must do to finish the work that he began. You've got to believe that. 
And, that, and if you believe that, it doesn't always make it easy, but it makes it easier when God's working in your life and changing you at a heart level and he's given you desires for things that are eternal rather than temporal. God gives and God takes away, right? But what do we do? We say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He, he always does what is right. We're going to talk about that this morning in Romans chapter 1. Um, how does God cultivate hope in us? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So you have to wait about an hour or so for the rest of that. But it changes us at the heart level. It challenges people to live Christ-centered lives, which is really the same thing as what we just said. A heart transform level is to live a Christ-centered life, and it offers godly hope and joy. Thirdly, when it can be derived and understood, what is, when is biblical counseling biblical? When it can be derived and understood by any growing believer. I am a firm believer in this, that if a person is regenerated and they have the Holy Spirit living within them, that God's word is understandable, discernible to them. Maybe not all of it. There are things that are difficult things to understand that take years of, you know, chewing on, meditating on, thinking through, interpreting, reinterpreting, interpreting, reinterpreting, coming to new conclusions or deeper truths regarding Scripture. But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, and guess what? He knows this book front and back, in and out. And he uses this book to bring about spiritual truths in people's lives, to bring about spiritual heart-level change. And so while training is good, right? I mean, training is good. We want to grow. We want to be experienced. We want to become more, um, more able to use God's word appropriately. But every believer has what they need to address the issues of their life and help address the issues of other people's lives. Maturity, uh, yeah, be mature. Grow in maturity. Work on, as we, I talked about last week and was reminded of again this morning, work on your tone of what you speak to people. Work on your body language. <laughs> work on your timing. Right, The one who rises early in the morning proclaiming praises is counted as cursing by his neighbor. Dude, it's too early. I know you love the Lord, but it's, it's 4 a.m. Can you just let me sleep a little bit? Right? Work on your tone. Work on your timing. Work on which truths. You have a whole toolbox of truths to be able to dispense into people's lives. Work on learning to say what can be said and when it can be said, when it should be said. Those are good things to learn. Learn the, the, um, those skills. But it can be used in every, in every believer's life. Um, not reserved for a knowledge of a select few, but resulting in increased confidence and on part of the trained believers. And then number four, and this is where we're going to end this morning, because we want to spend the next two weeks getting more practical and talking about the key elements that are in your um, packet there. But 
um, we'll, we'll end on point number four. But before I dive into it, any, any questions, comments? This is, um, I hope there's something that you guys find, thank you, consistent with um, this Sunday School series and the last one. What does the Sunday School series on evangelism and the Sunday School series on biblical counseling have in common? Scriptures, right? The sufficiency and the dependence and the authority of the Scripture to bring people to Christ. Essentially, that's what your, your goal is. You're bringing people to Christ. I said last week, and I'll say it again, because I firmly believe it, and I, and I remind myself of this all the time. You cannot change anybody. You can't do it. You might be able to manipulate some circumstances or someone's feelings for a little bit to get them for a few days to, to change, a few weeks, months maybe. And I mean, I've seen some people with some real willpower, like years, they can gut stuff out. But their hearts never really changed. You can't bring about true change. Now, this is the encouragement. Christ can. He can bring about real change. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't have to take six or eight weeks of counseling. It could take one hour, less than that, sitting down and opening up the scripture together, and a person is absolutely broken because that's what God has ordained for them at that moment, to grow and to change. And they walk away from you completely new. It can happen in the snap of a finger. It can happen over the span of counseling for years. But again, our goal is conformity into the image of Christ, bringing people before Christ so that Christ would change them. And God's word is what he uses, and he gives us to do that. Okay, so what makes biblical counseling biblical? These are not all the doctrines of the faith, but some of the key doctrines of the faith that we need to understand as counselors, and it's really helpful for other people, your counselees, so to speak, to understand as well. Number, well, letter A. A biblical understanding of man's sinful condition and the resulting confusion, wickedness, and suffering in this fallen world. We'll talk about this, we'll talk about that this morning in the sermon. But it is appointed for everyone to suffer. Everyone, it is through much tribulation that you enter into the kingdom of God. If you're a believer and life is hard, you're on your way to glory. Like that's got to be some form of encouragement to you. Like God's working in your life. That's good. Why does he have to work like this? I, I, that I don't know. But I know he's at work and I know he's good. I know he will complete what he's began. Um, people need to understand that they live in a fallen world and that their own sin is inescapable. Um, your greatest problem is yourself and you can never get away from yourself. So we need, <laughs> we need the word of God to sanctify us. So people need to understand the key doctrine of 
um, hamartiology, hamartiology, if you want to call it that, the, understand, the, the study of sin. B, the, the impact of the gospel and the beauty of our Redeemer. Now, this is good news, right? Like A, you talk about sin, you talk about they need to understand what their sinful condition is, their struggle with sin, the place of sin in their lives, the usefulness. Think about that. The usefulness of sin in your life to conform you into the image of Christ. But the impact of the gospel and the beauty of our Redeemer, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, the people need to understand this. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. People, if they're believers, they are living alive with Christ. Their union with Christ, which we'll get to in C. But you are, they are living alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And you see Jesus mentioned numerous times there in that text. If you want a little bit more of an expansion on that passage, again, listen to Dan's Wednesday night message from a couple weeks ago. He did a great job in explaining that. But people need to understand the impact of the gospel in their life. They need to understand their identity in Christ and all that he affords them and gives to them. See the believer's union with Christ. Listen to what the scripture says. We were buried. You were buried. Therefore, with him, by baptism, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. These are spiritual truths that are real for the believer because of their, in their union with Christ. So the helpful thing about understanding this is that the conversation at moments like this take a turn from, does God love me? Why is he allowing this to happen in my life? Things that believers commonly wrestle with. Why, why is this happening? Does God really love me? Does he really have a plan for this? Is he really working in my life through this? You remind them that if they are in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And the question begins to turn from why is this happening to how can I be hopeful in what God is doing in my life through this? There's a different perspective. You're oriented towards a different goal. One is like questions God's goodness and care in your life. And the other is better where it begins to ask the question of, okay, God is present and I am united with him in Christ. What is he doing in me? And that allows you to take the conversation in a very a good direction, a biblical direction from there. D, the role of the Holy Spirit in the process of change. You've got to remind people that God works in his timing. There are a number of things in my own life that I wish, like, they were just changed now. I wanted to be done and over with. Like, I'm tired of it. 
And there are times when I'm sitting down with another person where I'm like, I want to reach into your heart and I want to change it. I just want a couple clicks to the left. Good. Boom. Be on your way. Like, I wish I could do that. But that's just outside of my control. We are constantly depending upon the Holy Spirit. And guess what? There may be things that the Spirit of God never completely removes from your life. Why? Why would a loving God keep hardship, this, this particular hardship, this particular trial, this particular temptation, why would it be God's will to not remove it from me? To keep you humble and dependent upon him. My grace is sufficient for you, is what he told Paul. He, Paul urged and pleaded with the Lord, would you take this? I can't. Why? Because I love you. Because I love you, it will remain. And it will be an instrument in your life to humble you and keep you dependent upon me. If I were to remove it, you would you'd run off faster than you know. So he keeps us tethered to him, and it's for our good. Holy Spirit is the one that's in the charge of the process of change. He does it when he wants, as he wants, to the degree that he wants as well. Hope and joy and reconciliation with God and man. Our hope and our joy is not fixed upon the change of our circumstances. Our hope and joy is fixed upon our relationship with Christ. And we'll talk about that in today's sermon. But people need to know. They're coming to you. I... I I'll ask, one of the common questions, and I think I've shared this before, I'll always ask people that I'm counseling, I want you to fill in the blank for me. When blank happens, then I could finally be happy. Fill in the blank. Oh, when my, when my husband would get his act together, when my kids would stop doing this, when my boss would stop doing this, when I would stop feeling like this. You've just now told me what your idol is. When this happens, then you can be happy. No, the biblical response is when I'm conformed in the image of Christ, when God is glorified in my life, then I can be happy. We're trying to get people to, to fill in the blank differently, if you will. Joy and reconciliation with God is what does that. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. We see that in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. So, uh, F, the privilege and power of prayer. They have the privilege and the power of prayer. Every believer needs to know that that is true for them, especially struggling believers. We come to him with the confidence. We draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He provides it when we need it. And lastly, G, the anticipation of our Lord's return. At the end of the day, believers need to be convinced that Christ is coming back. And at that moment, every tear will be wiped away. He stored up our tears in the bottle. He understands. He sees. He knows. He's, he's kept count of every single one of them. And there's coming a day when they will all be completely wiped away with, wiped away, done away with, and we will enjoy him perfectly forever. You have to let people know and let yourself know. Wait. The fullness of joy is not here. We are exiles and strangers. We are wandering around. We are looking for a better country still. At that moment, when that moment arrives, fullness of joy and peace will abound, and we will know nothing else. Amen?
Okay. Um, we don't have time this morning for any questions. I apologize. Um, I'll try and leave some more time next week for that. I'm going to close us in prayer, but if you have like a real, you know, barn burner of a question, come and you got 15 minutes before church starts. So let's pray. <laughs> Gracious Father, how can we not but love you and worship you? Tune our hearts, Lord, to sing thy praise. You, we have all that we need in Christ, and yet, Lord, forgive us for those times where we say he's just not enough. We may not say that out loud, but we think it in our heart. He's not enough right now. I need something else. I need something more. God, may you be enough. May your word be sufficient, the authoritative word. If, if, the, if your word is not authoritative and it's not sufficient in our lives and we are, we're, living our, we're building our lives upon the sand, Lord, please help us have these things solidified in our minds, to be encouraged by what you're doing in our lives and for us to be encouraged and equipped to help other people as well. So thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We give you all the, the praise and the glory and the honor for it, for your word. Prepare our hearts to gather together for corporate worship, and we pray all these things in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, amen.